Hey, this is Damien on the Lobby Podcast. Uh, we are so blessed to have Robin Shavitz. Anybody who knows uh, Maryland governance and public affairs knows Robin really is the first, uh, as we call them, contractual lobbyist. Uh, is is the way I think of it, Rob. You can correct me, but uh, really a groundbreaking, glass ceiling shattering. Uh, mother lobbyist, uh, um, and uh, just so so grateful to have you here. And uh, this is our first one of these sort of as a one in one with colleagues in the field. And so it's just going to be a joy for me to try to understand how your career came into being. And and I think most importantly for the younger people that listen to this podcast. And there's a f- um, you know newer professionals that have been practicing for less than you know, 10 years, there's a few of those that are listening and, and I'm, I'm sure everybody could learn, but, but especially that cohort. So uh, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Damien. It's a pleasure. So how did you actually, you know, I, I think of you as right there on state circle, uh, the lead lobbyist for Alexander and Cleaver, your partners were you know, former speakers of the house or committee chair persons. And so uh, you were in the thick of it as I see it. How did you originally get into it? Well, um, long before I was on state circle, I um, was an advocate. I was a counselor at Planned Parenthood in Baltimore. I actually, it started before we even moved to uh, back to Baltimore. My husband's a native of Baltimore. We lived in Nashville and I worked for Planned Parenthood in Nashville as a counselor for women who wanted birth control and women who wanted abortions. And I was, um, it was in the seventies. I was very uh, uh, interested in, in helping women have control over their reproductive rights. So when I came back to Baltimore, I started working after I had our second child, uh, second child, no first child, I came to work um, as a counselor and they needed a counselor down in Annapolis to talk to a legislator who was from Catonsville and he had never voted on a pro-choice issue. And they sent me down to try to convince him or he had never voted pro-choice, but they thought there might be a way to do it. So I went, I don't know what I said to him, but he voted the right way. After out in those days, when they took up Medicaid funding for abortion, the, the, the debate went on forever. I mean, it wasn't a filibuster, but it went on forever. So anyway, um, when the vote was finally taken and it was, you know, suspenseful, my God, he voted the way I wanted him to vote. And I said, I have this gift. I have this ability. And I started working in their public affairs department part time. I had two little boys when I worked there and I worked full time during the legislative session part time outside of session, but here's the funny thing about that. He never voted pro-choice again, never. And he only was there for one term. So years later, I'm, I don't even know where I was, but somebody said to me, you know, that Senator so-and-so had an alcohol drinking problem. And I started thinking about it and I thought, I bet he pushed the wrong button. And <laughs> And in doing so, he launched my career. I I thought I was good. And, you know, when I first started, 
I had these very emotional issues. I had that. And then I, I worked for the um, Heart, Lung and Cancer Society. I went out on my own. I worked actually, I worked for the health department for a session on child protection. State health department. Yep. And I passed one bill, Family Support Services, which is still in the books. And it's a program, a small program they have. That was back in the 80s. And then I went out on my own, Robin Shavitz and Associates. And I did that until my children were in my youngest graduated high school. I had, so you had my two, own firm. two kids, a husband and your own firm, your own yeah. shingle. Yeah. And I think I met. I, gosh, I don't know. I, I, I came in in like 97. OK, I, 97 was when I moved to Alexander and Glaver. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I, so there was a whole early stage where, I mean, I learned, I, I learned a great deal about running a business, about, about being on my own. Much of it was very lonely. I had people who came to work for me, men and women who wouldn't stay because I couldn't pay them enough. Really, they right. were good people, but I, sure. I just couldn't. But in those days, I was also interested in going to my kids' soccer games, and I was interested in going on vacation. And um, I, I really, it's not that I didn't want to work hard, but I, I wasn't sure I wanted the pressures of being um, a full-time employee somewhere. But then when our youngest son went off to college, I said, I can go work for somebody and I don't have the pressures of running my own business, which I'd had. It. Right. Um, and, Again. And that's when I went, to, <laughs> I, yeah, you get it. that's when I went to work for Alexander and Cleaver. And I love working with a group of people. There was this, a synergy. There was, it was fun. We had lots of parties, you know, that Damien, we had lots. I, of I mean, I'm sure that's why I, you know, I'm sure how that's, how, how, that's how I ended up there for sure. <laughs> Yeah. And, and um, I will tell you this. I live in Florida in one of these. Um, it's not it's not an over 55 community. Thank goodness. It's a regular where there are you know, school buses come in here, too. But it's sunny and we have a clubhouse. It's not open now. But um, I went to a state of the club meeting and found out that this particular community has consumes the highest amount of alcohol of its of its fellow communities. And I thought. Well, I had good training for that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. As you know, you know how it was. You spent you spent a lot of time in the bars. That part is really true. But I always said yeah, I was Yeah, and the politics kind of emanated out of the bars literally. So like a, like a, a Tom Brahma who was the chairman of the most important committees when I was coming up like he literally came out of the tavern business and that was mm-hmm. sort of where politics happened oh, yeah. i think right oh i had i had a great experience with the retail liquor people i represented the wholesaler i mean the um the manufacturers for years the stilled spirits council of the united states and we had an issue where we wanted to put more tabletops uh, we wanted to raise the amount of money you could spend on advertising in a in a retail liquor store and the wholesalers didn't want that because they had to pay for it. And the guy, I won't even mention his name, he's deceased now, but he was one of these, you know, gruff, old time lobbyists. They brought the liquor in the first day of session, you know, for the, right. the Waiting <laughs> Means Committee. And then, to, and then the bill was withdrawn, you know, those were the days. 
and um, he represented the, the wholesalers and I had to get this bill passed and he didn't want it because he had to pay for all these little tabletop designs or umbrellas or whatever was in the stores. And I got the retailers to be on my side. I thought this guy's going to have a heart attack. It was in, it was in your old committee. It was in uh, Clarence Blount's. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And um, I won the day when um, I'll tell you, it was, the last day of session, the bill passed the House with, without any objections, without one no vote, and he couldn't believe it. He thought it was the stupidest bill ever, this guy. So he didn't get to work till the bill was already out of the House and in the Senate committee. And it was the last day of session, and I had to get this bill passed. And um, Clarence was like sort of on the fence. And um, I went to Perry Spikas's office. Remember Perry? All right, sure. He said, we were just, you know, shooting the bull and it's last day. And I really didn't think I had much chance. And he said, well, is there anything you want? And I said, yeah, I want this bill out of your committee. So he, he went to his committee. It was the afternoon of signy die. And he, he, they were just, Clarence said, well, the drawer is closed. Nothing more is coming <laughs> out. We're done. And he said, does anyone want anything else? And Perry said, Mr. Chairman, I want House Bill such and such out. And damn if they didn't vote on it right then. And it came out. And of course, I had already talked to Mike Miller. I had pestered Mike Miller. I was a good pesterer, Damien. I was right. very it's a different, it's a, it's a difficult balance, right? Oh, I was very, I was very good at that. And once I got it out, um, boom, done. So, yeah, I uh, always wanted to be a real lobbyist uh, until I realized <laughs> that I hated to ask for things. <laughs> and uh, just the students are sort of irreconcilable. Uh, yeah, you have to be, and, and you know virtues. what? One very uh, accomplished, established lobbyist said to me years ago, "You know, it's very simple being a lobbyist." And I said, "What do you mean?" He said. All you have to do is count votes. And he said, Robin, uh, most lobbyists don't count votes. And it was that, and that's true. And I learned from him. And I would go around to every member of a committee and say, Are you with me? And you know, I wasn't so busy that I I didn't have time to do it, but it's those things that really worked back then. Now, today, or I found in my latter years lobbying a lot of people would hedge their pets and they wouldn't tell you what, what they're really thinking um right. but but for the longest time i'd say can i have your vote will you vote for my bill or will you kill my bill or will you whatever it was we add an amendment people right. pe people forget <laughs> they're not going to just do it, it they're not going to read your mind you got to ask them no doubt about it you know when i think when i think of your career i i'd sort of instinctively think about uh my mom she was a gov she was a head of a she was the head of communications for saint agnes hospital and they had a big con issue and she had a lobbying team and yeah you know communications outfit and the whole nine yards and i was just a young staff person for um i think the city senators at the time and McFadden and 
like Ron Guns, man, just was like not cool at all to my mom. And it was and it was uh, clear. It was clearly like, you know, he had kind of a uh, sort of curmudgeon personality. But he, you know, but it was the it was the gender thing that I oh. I will never I will never forget that just the tone, the whole thing, you know. And so, I, and I look at your career, and you know, I read the Sun paper article about uh, you, and I just I, I was I was like, how many of these kind of <laughs> slights or little elbows or pushes? I mean, how do you? First, let me tell you. Is, did you encounter that? And had you? Do? I encountered it all the time. I the the most humiliating, and I had lots of humiliating experiences. But the most humiliating was with our friend Ron Guns, and mm-hmm. um, and so it wasn't just your mother. Um, I represented dental hygienists at the time, so it was a woman representing a field that was predominantly women and they had these battles royal with the dentists back then i mean it was like it was like warfare you wouldn't believe and um and there was nothing wrong with dan doherty he represented and i think he still does the dentist and he he's an epic figure in yes i loved working with him except this issue was the dentist they was like the hatfields and the mccoys anyway we're in Ron's office and we're, t- you know, they, they were, he, Dan was there with a dentist. And I don't know if I had a hygienist with me, if it was just me, but he, he was making a point and he made it. And then I, it was my turn and I started talking and Ron put his hand on my knee and said, not now, honey. And that just stuck with me. I, I mean, for years obviously it's like a time machine man you know it's like yep. a time, it's it's not now honey. But, but but not you know i remember josh kurtz you know this is why i started his own one of the many reasons i'm sure he started his own operation was because he did this whole me too thing before anybody was talking about it and he did it about annapolis it's like the boys are back or something you know mm. and it was a scathing thing and he did it very tactfully and journalistically um but we we just had concerns about the publishing of it and what, what could some legal implications be and but i tell you i mean it, that that culture apparently according to his reporting you know was was still is still happening just as you were you know, as you were beginning your career and still, unfortunately, as you were ending your career? I think, I think that, um, you know, if, if you ask me what's changed and what hasn't changed, on the one hand, I would say that there is less, less sexual harassment. And if, and, and the reason for that is that there are more women who won't stand for it. And there's more institutional support for uh, making an allegation or making a complaint inside of government. But, you know, I couldn't do anything about it. But on the other hand, and honestly, it's sort of old fashioned on my part, my view, and look, I didn't need this job. I didn't. I, I mean, I grew to love it and depend on the income and all of that. But when I started, I didn't need the job. I had a husband who supported me. I had two beautiful children. I did not need it. So, when somebody so you had a passion for this stuff, 
I did have a passion for it, but I wasn't going to stand for this. And if somebody insulted me or treated me unfairly because of my sex, I just turned the other cheek. I just said the best thing to do is just don't get mad, get even. And I wanted I wanted to win. I wanted to beat them down. You know what I did say to uh, Delegate Guns? Not in that meeting, but the next time I came back to see him about something, I said to him, you know, Mr. Chairman, I'm going to be here long after you're gone, which was certainly true. And I don't wish him any ill will. I really don't. I, I always liked him. Um, but, but that was an example of how I kept myself sort of ch- recharged that I'm going to be here. You're going to be gone, but I'll still be here. All right, right. <laughs> that was for me, the buck called the Bobby Nats principle. He was the advisor to five or six county executives in Baltimore County. And he, huh? I had this Martha Kumar book um, about presidential transitions on my first day on the job working for Jim Smith. And Bobby's taking me around the county executive. We get to the public works and all these people are working diligently. As, a, as they do in Baltimore County. And Bobby goes, you won't be needing this book, Damien. These people, you need to know one rule. These people will be here before you got in this door and they will be here long after you're gone. Good point. Freedom Good with respect. Point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think I think I saw. Uh, anyway, I'm getting back to you. Talk to me about working with uh, other lobbyists, uh, sort of the, did you feel a pack kind of culture where, you know, certain contract lobbyists hang with folks or mm-hmm. is it culturally or, you know, by issue area, what was your sort of experience floating through that? Well, I had lots of interesting groups who um, I worked with. I mean, first of all, when I wasn't the only woman who worked in Annapolis and we had a group called women on the rise and we used to get together and go out to dinner once or twice a legislative session. And we supported each other, but Isn't that fun you know, to like brand your group. I like that. That's a, women on that. The rise. It's like a team. And we used to, and one of the things we did, which was sort of fun. Um, do you remember the name Rosalie Abrams who she was when I started working in Annapolis, she was older, um, a member, but she was the majority leader and she became the finance committee. She was the first woman who was chair of the finance committee and she was from right. Baltimore. City. Anyway, she was part that. of this group. She was cool. part of this group too. And we sent out in those days, you put in magazines like Baltimore magazine in search of ads. And we put oh, yeah. in search of that in for her. That was, <laughs> one of our highlights but <laughs> but, were, but, but i i really there were i loved all the i mean powerful so, committee chair madam in search of <laughs> in search of well and and i i i loved working with all the lobbyists i worked with you know you name the lobbyists i work with them yeah and um i i think when you're contract lobbyists and you have so much to do, you really need to form these informal coalitions because you can't be everywhere or hear everything all the time. And if you're good friends with somebody, they'll say, Hey, you know, so-and-so is messing with your bill or, or you, you need to pay attention to what just happened here. So 
it was by subject matter. I did a lot of healthcare work. I worked with a lot of the people that worked in the healthcare field. Um, I also had my little liquor group. You know, we we worked together most of the time. Um, and 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 it was it was that way where you were fighting somebody one day, but you were their best buddies the next, or sometimes the same day. Right. And I I thought I mean I I commented on it for your for a comment about the lobby, your podcast, it was a rogues gallery. I mean, people were so, I was so boring in many respects. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, think I, very, I, was, I think very professional was your, uh, and tenacious was your, uh, or is remains your reputation, right? So, you know, it's uh, funny because that's because I'm a woman. Because yeah, yeah. I was pushy. I was, um, you know, very- well, yeah, I saw there was a word above, uh, I think, Brooke Learman that Malia Cromer that as you, you gouch your p- pals there, right. she had a problem with her because they called her ultra ambitious. And Malia yeah. was like, wait a second. Hold on. Right. <laughs> you would never say that about one of the male or male counterparts. <laughs> it's it's true. That part is true. And it was a question of, did you know your place? Um, now, I never found that at Alexander and Cleaver. I loved working. I'll give Gary a plug. He's my neighbor. Yeah, but I would say tenacious. I, when I say tenacious, not that I'm getting defensive, but uh, when I, I just think like repetitive, uh, follow through with a hint of no bullshit, uh, but totally affable. That was sort of the oh, vibe. Thank I you. Well, you know, if somebody told me to go see committee counsel Damian Doherty about such and such, <laughs> I was going to do it. I was going to do it. And, and, and it must have been over the alcohol bills. I think I think I was such a terrible committee counsel, and uh, and they were all so patient with me. But uh, I think like I shut down like an entire Senate district worth of like <laughs> Sunday licenses or something. By oh, my I'm sure mis- you did. My, 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 my bad uh, amendment. I'm writing sure you did. <laughs> well, it was, you know, it, you learn one way or another how important those committee councils are. And I maintained very good relationships throughout my career with all of them. Um, I had some... <laughs> I had some really tough ones, as you know, you, some of your yeah. counterparts. Uh, but, you know, and there were only two times when I cried that I can remember. So <laughs> I, I, I went a legislator. I'm sure there was good rationale. I, I, I would, you know, that's one of the reasons I can't, I can't do the, the, the state circle lobbying stuff. I just, my skin is not thick enough. <laughs> You know, you, yeah. you don't you don't give yourself enough credit. It seems to me asking for money and doing all of that. I, just, uh, I just, um, somehow I got on the corporate side of politics and then I always chased to be on the politics side of politics. But everybody at the end of the day wants to be in the course. I never knew how well uh, good I had. It, so. I, oh, in my early years, when I got realized that all I did was have to beg and ask for things all the time. I thought just once I want to be on the other side and have my rear end kissed instead of having to do all the kissing. Um, Because I thought it would be so much fun to give out, dole out the favors, uh, so to speak. 
But at the end of the day, and this is casting no aspersions on wonderful elected officials, lobbying and lobbyists have a lot of power and have a lot of um, ability to um, develop policy and and work through politics. And we really controlled a lot of things that happened, in my view. Yeah, you think there seems to me you, you came out of this sort of mission oriented advocacy, uh, you know, from real life experience, incredible real life experience that that seems to be like a reemerging trend in in lobbying in Annapolis and some of the other state houses we see is that sort of, you know, I, I'm going to care about these issues because I love this, but they're very mission focused. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a brand piece for the clients they're trying to attract, but they're definitely sort of narrow, narrow casting their audience pool. Well, there, sense, are some, maybe. There, there are some firms, some people who do that. You know, they are big on environmental issues or they're big on um, health care or, or, or only nonprofits. I started out doing nonprofits, but I realized if I wanted to actually grow the business, I needed to get in some corporate clients. And and, when and that's have- the class. Isn't that the classic like male superior play? We're like, oh yeah, we'll let Robin have all the nonprofit clients. You know, that's kind of the construct. Or you know, she oh. can do the healthcare stuff because yeah. it's a little too complicated for the fellas. You know, and and, and it's funny because <laughs> it takes too much collab. That healthcare thing takes too much collaboration for the fellas to be working on. Well, well when I was little, Robin Shavitz and Associates. Um, everybody liked me. I told you I liked everybody. Well, everybody liked me back. But when I joined powerful Alexander and Cleaver and they had, you know, right. A, you name the client, they were once, especially energy clients, which I learned a great deal about, but I knew nothing about before I joined the firm. I mean, people all of a sudden were a little bit wary of me because I was a threat all of a sudden where I really hadn't been before. So there is, you know, it, it, when you see, one of the things that struck me when I first joined that firm was, my God, that Gary got um, the clients walking in the door because he was a former legislator and an effective one. And he had right. powerful Speaking friends. Speaking of tenacious. <laughs> yeah. And, and Kat Taylor was there shortly after his leaving the, the uh, Gracious. assembly. And so I realized that they got more clients walking in the door in one month than I ever had in a year. And I worked hard to get those clients and they were just popping in the door. So I realized that there was um, definitely an opportunity for me to not only be a rainmaker, which I continue to do. I mean, I I brought in a a wonderful array of stable of clients when I worked at the firm. uh, but I learned about, I mean, I never would have had the opportunity to work in the energy field um, had I not worked at Alexander and Cleaver. And right. that was really a, a great time uh, to do it. Uh, so Man, so, those were the go, go energy days, right? Oh, my. We represented Enron. I mean, right. It, it was, it was <laughs> the go, go energy days. Um, but and, and you know, we, we were, we, there were, we represented casinos, we represented uh, all the big issues that were before the General Assembly we had a piece of uh, when I worked there. And th- times change and things change. And sure. things certainly changed at that firm. 
Um, but uh, the, the, the lesson is if you persevere and you want to do it, you'll go on. And, and that's what um, Barbara Zetkick is now doing um, with Z and C. Yeah, her love the club. brand and I love I love her content push. And then she's also doing this thing where uh, she's I think she's taking on some pro bono clients and really giving them some sort of front and center attention. I, so she's she's one to watch for sure. And over the years, and she's got uh, Richard, handsome Richard Reinhardt over Richard there. Richard right? Reinhardt, right? I love Richard. Nobody's going to not let that guy in his in their office. Is he too handsome? Uh, he was too, <laughs> he's too handsome. I love going to visit him when he worked for um, the minority. I guess the Senate, the senator, the minority senators. Um, that was right. always a pleasure. Um, and yeah, you know, they both know what they're doing and. I think um, they'll, they'll be very successful, but not everybody wants what I wanted. I wanted that big group. I wanted that opportunity after working for myself for so long. Um, what about the I, clash of the, you were there in the heyday. I'm sure it's still going on. I just, uh, but yes. you were there in the heyday of the, power firms just like oh, crashing against each other oh yeah. oh yeah i mean i could tell you stories but i will because you're literally talking about the 12 most influential people in the state influencing yeah. everybody about the other 11 you know in exactly the uh, way they want it seen you know it would be like it like if we had um a client come to us and they wanted representation and we couldn't take them because it was really an obvious conflict of interest. We'd say, well, who should we suggest the client go to? And we wouldn't want, we wouldn't want to send it to one of our arch rivals because that could be terrible. Right. <laughs> so we'd think about what like mid-level lobbyists could we send them to that wouldn't be hurting us. And um, it, it, I'm sure they did the same thing. Um, oh, I, I had people tell me things like, oh, well, we always send our clients to you and we can't take them. And that was baloney, you know, but they thought they could get away with that when they told me that. Right. I, I mean, you know, nothing is a secret in Annapolis, nothing. And you always find out what's going on. So yeah, my, that, t- my struggle on that one is like, I, I believe in like building teams as you did and uh, I also think that there's so many opportunities for people to play sort of specialist roles and do it for maybe a smaller fee, but they got a real clear defined role. There's right. so many fun ways at it, but when you're a communications person, like they can't even believe they had to hire the law firm. Then they got told they had to hire the lobbying firm. Now right. you're telling right. them to have a communicate. Now my firm's telling them they need a budget for communications. They're like, come on. So I'm always like the last guy. So it's tough for me to refer I think like when I was a lawyer, I kind of got a, a more looks on the front end uh, and then uh-huh. could get good people on. That's sort of a, the downside, I think, of the communications business. But maybe I'm not approaching well, you know, it the smart way. You know, you realize, in my view, if you're smart and you're a big firm, big government relations firm, that you really do need to incorporate all of that inside sure. your doors if you sure. can. But yeah, we worked with you many times. We worked with other grass tops lobbying firms yeah. um, over the years. I had um, some close relationships with people who 
who uh, did good work for us and for our clients. And I, I really appreciated their expertise, but I, I always, there were times, frankly, Damien, when I wanted to do what you did. I'd yeah, say, yeah, yeah. that Damien, he doesn't have to register as a lobbyist. <laughs> <laughs> and he, yeah. he gets all the easy stuff. He does get all, he doesn't have to ask. He just needs to convince the public. That's my whole gig is like convincing the public to push it on the elected official. So that way I can just work work through the public. Hey, so you were, you were were in Howard County most of your career, right? Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think about the ascendancy of Howard County uh, in Maryland politics? And uh, well, it's funny. I always thought of Howard County as sort of the Poland of Europe because it was halfway between Baltimore and halfway between right. Washington. And when we first moved there to really raise our family, we liked the schools, we liked a new town. Um, half the people read the Post, Washington Post, and half the people read the Baltimore Sun at their door every morning. So it was very divided in that regard. Um, uh, yeah, this ascendancy is great. It's it has um, it has generally had good and I would say moderate leadership. Um, I think they have some. The tone good- is at the very least. The tone is very moderate yes. for everybody. Yes, that's true. I mean, it's changing a little bit because now it's Facebooked. But I think that wants to be a very moderate toned county. True civility. <laughs> Yeah, and true civility, which um, is a, is a, is not just a bumper sticker. A lot of people believe it. And but um, look, Howard County. We were talking to some friends who live still live up there now, and they said there was another murder in Howard County. Um, hmm. And so a lot of the problems in urban centers have. So they went from one to two there, or what? Well, all right. You're right. You're right. It's early in the year. But but the point is they're dealing. um, And I'm sure that Calvin and uh, his team are dealing with some serious um, uh, urban issues. There's food deserts there, believe it or not. Uh, Oakland Mills is a tough neighborhood in Columbia. It's a very expensive uh, jurisdiction, you know, whether yeah. you're buying gas oh. or groceries oh. or housing, it is very, you know, a very expensive jurisdiction. Everybody who lived there. But they produce to- pretty good politicians. <laughs> you knew not to go buy your gas in Colombia. You had to go out Route 40 to get your gas. Um, but no, you're right. It's expensive. Uh, it's but it's less expensive than the Washington suburbs for sure for housing. So I mean, I'm working on that. Uh, I'm working on that. Um, really trying to attract new tenants to downtown Columbia. And those, you know, Howard Hughes said, "Hey, we're going to have uh, this be the cyber capital, uh, uh, you know, of America." And everybody was like, "Well, it's not going to." You know, next thing you know, Tenable's in there. Wants Tenable's in there. Everybody wants to be around Tenable. Mm-hmm. Um, Tenable just acquired a huge French outfit, um, you know, and now they say, hey, um, there's a huge opportunity to put a health hub right on the lakefront, right next to the Whole Foods and have medical office that sort of matches yeah. the future hospital without walls. So they've got some cool ideas that they are uh, 
cooking yeah. out there, and then and then Howard County, the the the, the non Columbia or non downtown, uh, seems to be thriving um, through the through the pandemic somehow. So uh, hats off to all those folks. What what do you miss about the the game? What do you miss about the profession? Mm. Um, and have you ever really thought about like, hey, everybody else is on the screen now. Maybe I could just do. Maybe I could just uh, pick up the ball one more time and. Uh, you know, it's funny you should strikes. Think. Yeah, I I've had a couple of um, opportunities to do that, but um, I, well, first of all, I think I got out at a good time. Um, I think I got out at the top of my game. Um, I could run up the steps. I didn't fall asleep in hearings. I um, was uh, very active from nine to five and five to nine. Um, I, I think that I left with my reputation intact. So there's a lot um, that I, uh, there was a lot I thought about when I was planning my exit. Um, I'm, I'm very happy to be down here. And now I have not only two sons, they're married and I have three grandchildren and I go to Los Angeles all the time um, to visit my, my kids. Uh, this COVID has put a kink in that, but now that I've gotten my two vaccines, I'm going to be heading out. Congratulations. Thank I, you. you might, and you might have a, uh, you might have a chance to work against uh, Ivanka Trump down there. <laughs> She's my neighbor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's real. I was just reading today. It looks like Trump is going to be able to stay in, in Mar-a-Lago. It looks like he's considered an employee of Mar-a-Lago. Like let me tell you, I just wrote a letter today. I'm sitting in my bed. I never, I never, never did this when I lived in Maryland because I was a big Democrat with a capital D and all of our elected officials that I cared about were Democrats and Washington. That's right. But here I've got Scott, Rick Scott and Marco Rubio as my senators. So I wrote Scott a letter today because I read in the Washington Post this morning that he called the hearings today, or rather the impeachment presentation of yesterday by the uh, Jamie Raskin and company, he called it a waste of time. And I was really pissed. And I wrote him right. a letter. And I write I write them letters all the time, both Rubio and um, Scott. Um, and and I, I think they're going to have trouble getting reelected. I think they're going to there. You would be surprised how there are plenty of Trumpsters down here, but there are plenty of really yeah. good people down here, too. Um, but politics, from what I was used to, is a 180 degree difference. Now, here That's in right. That's here in my in my in Palm Beach, there's the city of West Palm Beach, which is where I live. And Keith James is the mayor of West Palm Beach. And Gary Alexander and I had a, a meet and greet fundraiser for him down here. Awesome. Right here. So um, and he and he's he's very involved. He's on the um, the uh, property owners association, just got elected. And he, he calls me all the time about strategy and things he wants to do he's very involved um he couldn't give that up smart he, smart leader all i want to do well that's not true i i'm still i'm still 
feeling my way down here. And COVID really put a kink in that because there's so many places I couldn't go. But I'm I'm still at, I work for the Planned Parenthood down here. I um through and through. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, you know, I, we went, we've taken some art classes. Uh, we have a lot of uh, driveway happy hours, tons of happy hours down here. Uh, and it's sunny all the time. So I'm going to get back into traveling as soon as I can. And Which sounds like it'll be pretty soon, right? Or are you, yeah. would you, would you know, yeah, yeah, seems like it's right. But the other thing, uh, Jamie and I, I love my time in Annapolis, but it's so different now. People will look at me as their grandmother. I mean, they're elected officials who they have a different way of doing things. They have mm-hmm. other ways of communicating. Social media and all the good and bad of it is is major. And you get out of that as a, a skill set, and you're really behind the eight ball. Okay, okay, if I came back, I wouldn't do it. I know I need someone to help me and to guide me with some of those things but i i just i'm i'm i would you know what i would like to do but i can't do it now but i would like to do um you know continue to teach young people the skill set you need to be a good lobbyist because that's, I don't, right. I would, that's what i would like to do well, so I think it's really utilized. Maybe you could do a little LinkedIn series. Put a little subscription fee. Yeah, you, I'll need uh, your help. To, I'll need your help. I'll need <laughs> like to be a little subset of KO. <laughs> you are, uh, like I said, a glass-shattering uh, professional in the world of public affairs. And thank you so much for joining us on Center America. Well, it's been my pleasure. I wish you the best with the lobby and everything else.